Hello and welcome back to Spark Connections, where we unpack, talk about, discuss journeys throughout the tech industry. My name's Stefan, been your podcast host for a little bit now. If you didn't know that, then I know this is your first time listening to the episode. I have here today with me, my friend Anne. I told you guys I'm going to stop doing the the whole Twitter, I guess, disclaimer of how I meet everyone at, at this point um, in staging the game. And we're going to be talking about so much today. Um, one thing I just realized about Anne is that we get each other equally fired up. So yes. I apologize in advance for whatever's going to happen here because we've been we've already been going before we started recording. So super excited to have you here. And thank you so much for joining me today. Stefan, I'm so I'm so hyped to be here today. It's such a pleasure to be on the podcast. I forgot how um, hype you and I get. Like I remember, I, like now it's all coming back to me from the last time we chatted, yes. and I'm like, oh wait, we did this before. <laughs> we did this already. Yes. Um, but this is I'm really excited. So, I I think I have to. I think I almost want to like pick up where we like where we were just talking about. But I'll we'll have to take it. We'll just take it back for and we'll run it back, everyone. Um, so, so Anne and I were just having a discussion around a couple of different things, but really focusing on the work that she's doing in the tech industry, um, which focuses a lot around how we treat people, um, how we treat people, not only just our external customers. So the people who we're servicing potential customers and then our internal customers for organizations, which are usually our employees. So, um, we started off talking about a workshop that you just completed. So I just, let's just, let's just get right into it. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, for everyone listening, again, I'm Anne Anne Griffin, um, and I am a product manager. And I also I do a lot of other things, including a lot of public speaking, which also includes a workshop I do called Human First, Product Second, which really talks about several things from, you know, just thinking about like the product in much more human sense and prioritizing that over necessarily just figuring out how do we maximize money, right? Because oftentimes our North Star is something that is maximizing money. And we don't really think about here are all the other metrics that are actually hurting because we're maximizing for profit and like nothing else really matters. And we got into talking a bit about how this workshop goes through design thinking as well as design justice, as well as tech ethics and thinking about not just like how it impacts the customers, but impacts the people who, you know, are maybe external to the organization that are impacted by the product, as well as, we were also talking a little bit about internally and figuring out like what are healthy, trustworthy ways people can work together. Because when you read anything about design justice or design inclusion, they talk about how important it is for the team themselves to have a healthy work environment and have healthy relationships with each other and be able to trust each other. And so there's, there's a lot of layers to that. Um, but I just finished giving that workshop um, actually over to some of the good folks over at LACMA in L.A., um, and yeah, I, I love giving that workshop. So, you know, you mentioned something that I, I think a lot of, uh, I, I would say like almost our generation is ha- has an expectation of, um, in terms of leveraging a product or using a service. And that is that the people who are, who are, um, I guess delivering or creating that experience are treated fairly inequitably, um, by the company that's, that's delivering that, um, so, so I, I, I think it's interesting, you know, one, I think what you're doing, the work that you're doing is very much needed. Uh, but I think it gets, it, it calls to the very heart of the fact that, you know, we're to a point, especially for, I think, 
and and where we're at today, where we're we're more conscious than we than we ever have been about how employees are treated, how people are treated, but then also that that growth at all cost mindset is just not. It's not one that's popular anymore. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think we used to like kind of let companies, and I don't think we used to like we did. We let companies get away. We let them chew and burn and tear up people, and it didn't really matter so long as the so long as I got my service. And now people are asking questions like, "Hey, you treat your employees badly? Well, then I'm not going to support you. Um, I'm not going to buy from you. But I'm not going to leverage your service." Yeah, absolutely, and and. Again, there are more people. And the thing is, like, in the age that we're in now, information travels so fast, right? And there's going to be some people where they're going to just buy from whoever, regardless, because they're going to be like, I can't keep track of all who, who's, who's being terrible, like, this week or who's being terrible this year. Uh, but there's a lot of people who do care. And frankly, there's just a lot of information to kind of figure out, like, well, where should I be buying something, you know, and there's been a lot of stuff where people have had taken up issue, especially with Amazon as an example, um, and been like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't shop at Amazon. You should buy from a creator directly. Or, um, actually one of the things is New York has been kind of taking jabs at Amazon lately saying like, make sure to buy for like from a New York mom and pop. Um, you know, that'll be really great. And it's also funny because I remember a few years ago, how long it was, New York was like, Amazon, come here. Like, we would love to have your second headquarters here. And Amazon, I think, was sounded like they were ready to do that until, you know, a lot of people kind of protested and said, yeah, like, we don't like how you carry yourselves. We don't like how you treat your warehouse employees. We don't like how you do business. Um, you know, please don't come here. And you'll also, like, mess up, you know, also the – they're like, you're going to mess up the, like, tech ecosystem because you're going to price all the startups in New York out of having talent, which, you know, you could also say like, oh, maybe they should be paying more, but also you have to think about even, even if everyone was paid fairly, like you have to admit, like Amazon probably still would be pricing people out of the talent pool. Oh, there's, there's no question about that. I mean, I know, I know people who, um, I know people who live and work in Seattle. I know people who, you know, have worked and who currently work and have worked at Amazon. And it's, I mean, it's, it's some of the same thing. It's some of the same uh, behavior that we're seeing right now, almost. And I almost want to call it Amazon like, um, in the introduction of venture capital and, and, you know, series funded organizations where they're getting these large amounts of money and they're just, just blowing it out there. Um, one of the conversations that I, I was just having with a, with a, another a peer of mine um, is, you know, some of the offers that his employees are getting is like, there's, you know, and I, and it begs the question like, Hey, are we paying fairly? You know, are we paying, paying market rate? But then looking at some of these offers that they're getting from, from these companies that are almost wielding very similar behavior to some of the bigger ones like Amazon, yeah. like Google, and they're offering, you know, two and three times, what is, I don't want to call it a reasonable salary, but just a very, just such a, a huge gap, like almost Silicon Valley, like, um, salary. And that's not to say that the individuals who are making it don't deserve that. Um, I do believe that everyone deserves to be fairly compensated for their work, but I think what, what's happening is there's, it's creating an imbalance. Um, it's creating an imbalance in the area and it just doesn't allow for, um, it doesn't allow for, for fair competition. Um, you know, when, when everyone, and I think it's like, it's a thought of, you know, when everyone's making, you know, these large amounts, it, it makes it hard for companies to, you know, to maintain and continue to be sustainable. And then you hear this introduction 
um, and this idea of almost being forced to be leaner than they want to be um, because they don't have an option because it's either we pay people so that they'll come here or we don't pay these amounts and then we don't get the good talent and it takes us longer to do, you know, to do and deliver whatever we want to. So, so we're almost, they're almost forced into it. Yeah. And I think it's also, it's like also a thing about innovation, right? Because innovation is really, um, it's, I mean, it's important on a lot of layers, right? There, it's really kind of whoever, whoever is like, like in the forefront of innovation as a, as a country, right? Like they're kind of the people who, who run the world. And, you know, you see countries that kind of got left behind and they're trying to catch up. Like they, they really get that. And, um, there's this, this person, um, I met him actually at a really great AI conference in Montreal called AI on a Social Mission. Um, his name is Dong Wu Kim. Um, he, I think it's like the Asia, he works for the Asia Pacific um, Institute of Canada. And he was, he talked about how um, South Korea um, didn't quite invest in like technology um, at a time when, you know, like the last kind of industrial revolution happened and they kind of got left behind and to kind of compensate for that, you know, they are actually investing like tons and tons and tons into AI. And it's kind of like this AI race with a lot of countries because everyone sees as like, this is the next industrial revolution that's going to say like, who runs the world? And so when you think about tying this back to our topic of like compensation, right? You need innovation, right? Innovation doesn't come when you have like three big companies and no one else can compete. You have to have competition for innovation, right? But if you ha can't afford to pay anyone when you're starting up, right? Like, how do you innovate? And that's also when we start looking at like startups for black and brown people, uh, or just like not really for, but you know, by black and brown people who can't get funding. Like, how do you innovate when you can't even get the VC capital? And I know there's other people listening, like you don't have to go VC. I know, uh, but like, you know, that is like one of the primary routes for startups to get the funding, to get that type of talent. And if you can't get that type of talent, like where, where, where does the competition, you know, how do you become competitive? Because I'm like, can you, as the CEO and co-founder or founder, can you both be the CEO and the designer and the coder and, you know, and be the marketing person and, you know, and, and, and there's just so many things. And I'm like, you can't scale if you can't afford to bring on specialized employees it's just not it's really or it's like extremely hard and you'll you'll burn out right and there's no guarantee that you will be successful and so that kind of goes back to like you really need to also have a certain level of like people like startups can afford i wouldn't say like afford because i hate that but like the market is not so inflated that there is like zero incentive for people to go work at startups so that there's competition and innovation happening. You know, you brought up a really interesting idea and concept, and this is something that I've been seeing a lot of and seeing, I don't know. I, I have, I have a couple, I have mixed thoughts about it, but the idea of like, the, like the startups that are coming up. So, so yes, people will say you don't need VC, you don't need venture. Um, you, you don't need, this, you know, the Series A funding, um, you know, just bootstrap your company, which is really, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> um, 
but there's so many risks and challenges that come uh, along with bootstrapping that I don't think people always, you know, take into consideration. Uh, it sounds like a really great idea, but but the reality is, is like when when we look at um, when we look at organizations that are companies that have started up like that, like they're as much as it seems like it's working for so many people. The reality is, is that for every for every, you know, CEO or CTO or person who, you know, did, you know, the bootstrapping worked out for, there are like 20 or 30 or 50 that failed. Um, yep. And and I, I don't know about you, but burning through my personal savings, burning through all the money that I have to fail, like I, I was um, reading an article and it was just talking about the homeless population, particularly in California, but around the Silicon Valley area, people who moved out there tried to tried to do that and failed and how that number continues to rise um, and, and, and has wrote, just continued to rise annually because it's not as, there, there's a lot of flair and pomp and circumstance around it, but there's not the the reality around it almost, I guess you would say. Yeah. And even just, it's funny because people talk about, oh, this company started in someone's garage and this company started in someone's garage. And I'm like, okay, so they come from a family where their family could afford to buy a house in that area. And actually they held on to that house during a time when that area was experiencing exponential growth. Right. Like how there's like certain people were like, they're like, yeah, um, where my family grew up, there wasn't you know, a tech scene or there wasn't that exponential growth. So like, I could have built something out of my garage, but I'm like, where would I have gotten people to even, you know, help me? There's like a lot of other things. And also you think you, the thing that comes up, I think maybe not as much as it should is, you know, entrepreneurs, mental health, because whether you have funding or not, it's a lot to be a founder, uh, you know, and if you are the person who has to do everything because, you're, you're bootstrapping, right? Or you have to somehow convince people to do stuff for like little to no pay. It's, you know, there's a point of privilege in being able to not have to pay, not have to pay rent, right? Not have to pay certain bills because you, you either got married to someone who can help you handle the expenses. Your family has a place that you can, you can live out of. That's not the case for everyone. And like you said, burning through savings. And when I look at the healthcare costs here, and even just think about, you know, how many, like, you know, how many things where people need healthcare in older age, right? You need to go to the doctor more often. I'm like, yeah, I don't even know if I, I'm like, this is me personally, but I'm like, I don't know if I want to risk my ability to like pay for life-saving treatment. Like, you know, when I'm in my like eighties and nineties, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's kind of like to innovate in a country that actually, it's funny where it's like, the country depends on us innovating, but there's like, you know, in many places, like very little help to actually be able to afford the, like kind of a privilege, I mean, to, to be able to innovate, you know? You know, I think that, I think there's so much, there's so much more to that. And I'm sure you and I could probably spend the rest of this entire conversation talking about just that yes. because there, cause, cause there is like, 
there is that that privilege to being able to do that. And I'm sure, I'm sure there are countless examples of individuals who didn't have privilege. Fine, I'm I know they're there. Um, I, I think, but I think when, we're, when you're looking at the greater majority, like the greater majority of people were able to do this because, yes, they did have to sacrifice something. Yes, they did give up something. But the but the reality is, is that they were in a position to be able to make that sacrifice. Like being able to be in a position to decide between. To not have to think about where your meal comes from and because you don't think about where your meal is going to come from or your roof or or your light bill or any of those things. And you're able to just focus on your on your, you know, your dream, your organization like that's that's a privilege and not many and that many don't experience and many don't get to have. Um, and I think that that's something that we that is sometimes taken for granted when when we talk about bootstrapping. I do want to. um I do want to change the topic just like a tiny bit okay. and, and talk about, so, so right before you and I, like right before you and I got into this, um, we were talking about design justice. So I want to, I do want to kind of pivot to that. Yeah. And just talk about, so it, it, I think it's so important. So first of all, there's a book um, called design justice. Um, Anne and I were talking about it before, you know, before we jumped on and I was I turned around because I knew I owned it. Um, so design justice is written by um, Sasha, uh, I, I believe her last name is Costanza. Um, and essentially it, 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 it's in a, it's a book that talks about the, how design um, could be. And in realities, in some cases should be led um, by marginalized communities, but often isn't because of just the way, just, essentially what we'll call it is, is the way that the system has stood, uh, been set up in design. So systemic, systemic, um, oppressors that are already in place prevent this from happening um the awesome thing about this book was that it was actually uh i think mostly and all i think completely funded and backed by um uh, by a fund from mit which is absolutely amazing but i just want to talk about the concept of design justice um the relationship between designing between design the the like i guess the authority that it gives and how we connect that to social justice concepts. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we were talking about this earlier is that, you know, for decades, this concept of, you know, design thinking was, you know, really, 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 really hot. IDEO, you know, made it a thing. They didn't create it, but they, they're the ones who made it hot. And people kind of thought like, oh, great, we're going to really get into what the user needs, what the user wants, and what's best for them. And there's all sorts of like videos showing people doing research for design thinking. But, you know, design design thinking, um, depending on, I guess, like how you look at it, kind of falls short of, you know, who is maybe impacted by this, but isn't necessarily one of your users or your customers, um, you know, how, how can, like, how does this potentially even hurt communities that, you know, again, maybe not your target audience, right? Where it's, it's one thing to be like, oh, they're not included. I'm not really worried. It's something that's not particularly um, hurtful, but there's things where it's like, okay, you may think it's not hurtful, but like, what about people with disabilities? What about people of like Asian heritage? What about people who are in the African diaspora? Um, there's a lot of things where, um, you know, it starts intersecting with a lot of the tech ethics questions. And like one of these examples is, 
I think it was like Bloomberg or The Verge did an article talking about how when Amazon first launched Prime Now, if you did an overlay of the map of which neighborhoods Amazon decided to roll Amazon Prime Now out to first, and you did an overlay of like where like a lot of the black and brown people were in, you know, in those cities where they were rolling out Prime Now to start, like those maps, like the places where the most black and brown people were concentrated happened to be the parts where those were the neighborhoods that Prime Now wasn't really available to. And people pointed out to Amazon, they're like, hey, we know this wasn't your intention, but this is racist. <laughs> and and people were like, this is really problematic. And people called Amazon out on it. And I believe Amazon actually did fix it. But these are things where, as where design justice talks about, this shouldn't be reactionary. This should be proactive. We should be thinking about this as we're moving forward and not necessarily design justice, but um, there's another book called, um, I think it's like, is it building for, I think it's building for everyone or design. I think it's building for everybody, um, which is by Annie Jean-Baptiste um, over at Google. And she talks about kind of design inclusion and product inclusion and frameworks you can use for that, which is again, not necessarily the same exact thing as design justice, but thinking like much more about like who is not just like, I think included in the product, but also like who was included in the impact of the right. product and ju yeah. design justice really forces us to center on those things. And, and I think, so, so as we, as we continue to explore this, I think, um, you know, one of the challenges and one of the things that we run into often is the fact that um, the individuals who are, and this is just, I'm speaking purely from my experience, not necessarily that I can represent everyone, but this has been my experience. And this is what I have. I understand a lot of the experience to be like, which essentially is the fact that, the people who are making these choices, the people who are in the room doing the designing are, are trying to represent communities that they are not a part of. Um, so the, I think about, uh, let, for example, a community bank, let's just, let's just choose that option. If the employees who are, who the employees who are making the decisions about designing systems, programs, all those things aren't from those communities and aren't, and don't represent the communities that the bank operates in, it's very, it's going to be very challenging for them to hit the target for individuals who are consuming their product. Um, so I, I think about, and I, I, someone gave me this example one time of, um, a individual who, who worked at, uh, who worked for, for a financial institution and they were designing, they were struggling to get into black and brown communities. Um, and one of the things they started, they did a review of their services and noticed that a lot of their, um, a lot of what they offered lent itself to those who are more financially well-established um, and, and, and those who had better um, financial planning, knowledge, understanding. Um, and so as a pilot, they did, they, they brought in a consultant and said, Hey, Fiona, why don't we do this? Why don't we offer free financial planning classes um, to the community? Um, so they, they brought individuals in to do that. And, and not only with engagement low, but it, it actually made things worse. Um, and one of the, uh, uh, just leading up to this and, and one of the reviews of it said like, Hey, I am a, you know, I understand what you're trying to do, but I am a single mom who lives paycheck to paycheck. I rob Peter to pay Paul. Saving is not something I have the option of doing. Mm -hmm. 
I don't have the option of saving. And the problem is, is because your financial institution is one of the few in the area, I'm forced to go with you. And because I struggle, because I live paycheck to paycheck, I spend part of my check is already eaten up by non-sufficient funds fees, all sorts of other things like that before I even get paid. So by the time I get paid, I'm already behind. Um, so the idea of saving is not it's not foremost in my mind, nor is it something that I even consider to be a serious thing I'm focused on until I can even get out of where I'm at. Um, the result, I believe, of that of that was that the financial institution did review some of their policies and found, you know, better ways to to help the community that they were operating in. But I mean, that's just that's just one small um, example, and and I'm I'm sure there are much bigger rooms and bigger organizations where similar things have happened, such as your Amazon example. Um, I also think about, um, and I'm sure we can we can dig into this as well. Um, Google Google AI and and ethics around around that space. Absolutely, you know, and that's I mean, Google's kind of always had a problem with it. It's just I think more prominent in the forefront since um, you know Timnit was fired by by Google. But if you look back. Um, you know, Sophia Noble wrote Algorithms of Oppression. The cover of that book is actually um, a screenshot that she took of basically like the predicting her her search query where she typed in like, why are black women so, and I think the first answer is why are black women so angry? And then it goes down this whole list of things. And it's basically things that, you know, people who are racist have typed into Google. But when you think about, how many people, you know, who, I mean, just the reality is, is there's just a lot of people who, whether intentionally or not, are racist in this country and have typed that into, you know, into Google and like that's come up. It's kind of like, okay, that's like you having a model where like it doesn't account for these type of things and also how it harms communities and that sort of thing. Like that, that's a problem. I think eventually Google changed that. If you type it in now, that's, those aren't the results that Google comes up with. But people had to call Google out. And I think Sophia Noble called Google out a few times before I think it gained enough traction that they actually changed it. Um, but, you know, I'm like, that's like, I think at least over 10 years old, um, that specific example. And I'm like, that's, you know, this use machine learning to do, you know, use predictive text and using um, natural language processing. So this is something that's really not new to Google, but this is really, I think, in the last year or two, really where we're now, people are like, oh, shoot, like Google, the company that we all loved because they brought us Gmail, which is so much better than some of the other email services that came before it. And, you know, we Google everything and, you know, we think they're our best friend. We're like, oh, wait, this is actually very dark. Um, they do a lot of things that, don't really align with the type of tech company we you know we want to use their products and not really it doesn't really align with the vision of at least not like the vision of the world that like you and I want to see so what's interesting about that example is the fact that um so I've checked on two different browsers and uh two different browsers and now checking on a third device so if you type in uh why are black women so into google right now it returns nothing for the algorithm which is very interesting because it's Google. Um, but if you type in why are uh, men so something, why are men so, it gives you results back. Um, so I find it interesting that in two different browsers that no longer returns anything. So rather than, I think, 
I think some of the challenges that I have with um, uh, so so I was just talking to my wife about about um, the fact of like when things happen at an organization, um, let's just say someone says something racist or someone says, someone demonstrates behavior that is um, very counter um, counterproductive or counterintuitive to to the the mission that the company says that it are trying to align itself with. So we'll we'll use something such as like dem- uh, 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 you know language language that includes slurs. Um, so someone gets terminated for that. Let's just you know, kind of walk through that scenario. One of the things that we've been talking about is like, so what systems were in place that allowed that person to feel comfortable enough to even speak like that at work in the first place? Because Mm -hmm. if they're doing it at work and they got caught, one, they're usually not alone. um, And two, they probably have done it before without consequence. So yes, I'm glad you fired them. Yay. What, what else? So like, Like why, like, like, I think that's the one of the big issues that I have. And I think this example kind of highlights that. So, okay, cool. So you block the search, essentially, you block the algorithm from processing something like that. Fine. So if someone types in why are black women, so it returns nothing now. What, and, and by the way, I'm just saying nothing at the time of this recording, for all I know, by the time this episode makes it out, they could have fixed it. Who knows? But right now it's blocked. So essentially the algorithm returns nothing. So it's kind of like, to me, like the firing. Okay. So you fired someone, but what, like. And I realize these algorithms are based on people, but what? But it highlights the bigger issue of what is what is in place that allows people to, or causes people, or lets people believe that this is this is truth. Yeah, and it goes back to the whole reactionary versus being proactive, because we know data is biased, because we know people are biased, and people are the things that we are generating the data we're using, you know, to train the algorithms on, and you know they're there are people like one person like um, Ayodele Odubella, she is an amazing data scientist. Um, you know, there are people like her and a lot of other people who actually train people, you know, like, what do you do when you, you ha- like, I mean, all data is biased, but like, what do you do when you have this like biased data set? Like, what are your options? Like, what can you do? And thinking about this before you actually start training any models on it. And these are things where people are just kind of like move fast, break things. And it's kind of like, yeah, but you're like further breaking the things that were already broken. And I think they see it as it's not my place to fix a system that was already broken, but it's kind of like, yeah, but you're actually making it even you're and there's ways in which you're making it worse. Like you could argue, Oh, like all the fractures in our society right now that are being amplified by things like Facebook they existed before. They're not new, but you're like, yeah, but like how has Facebook exploited that for profit? Right? Like how has Facebook amplified that? And you look at the data where like Facebook has existed in our world from before um, Facebook and you see, and there's, this is Facebook's not the only thing, right? There's other factors, but you see like the less moderate, people are there's less even just politicians that have like an overlap in views it's like kind of all two extremes and that's and those are things where certain tech companies exploit that because it gets you more time on site so more time on site you click on more ads and you buy silly trump shirts or you buy silly other type of like extreme shirts and like great and now make somebody a lot of money right like it's there's there's just so many 
I say this a lot, but like there's so so many layers here where it's like not necessarily all their fault, but it's like people seeing the problems of society as like, well, this is not my problem. Like I don't own it. I didn't invent it. Even though they have the scale to make a problem even more unwieldy and uncontrollable than it was before they started. I I think so I've found that when looking I don't know. I think I found when looking at I would say the 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 so I try when looking at things from like a more holistic standpoint, right? So so when we look at things like that, so so I think um when oh man, it, it was a documentary. I think it was a program on Netflix. Um, uh, this uh, social dilemma, social something, something about. Oh something. yes, I know yes. what you're talking about. Um, I think <sighs> I'm trying to remember the name of it. The social, it's something. It'll come. It'll come to us. I'm sure it'll come to us right after this. But one of the things that I know that was like the most challenging for me to watch that is is it, it, because it you know it's th- it, it confirms the things that we already. Um, it confirms things that we already know, but just amplifies them. So the fact that like, you know, these companies know that if you're not buying a product from them, then you are the product, right? Like, like we've been told that so many times, but just under like sitting down and seeing, seeing the breakdown of, Hey, this is how we, and and I think they, they did a really good job of almost capturing it of saying like, Hey, you know, I I forgot what the young, they did an example of a young man. I believe his name was Tyler, but I don't recall um, where, you know, they said, Oh, well, you know, Tyler's views are down and, his girlfriend blank just broke up with him, hit him with a notification for this. Right. So like they're like the, the data I, I, someone said to me when uh, at, at a, I, I do a lot of volunteering. Someone said to me at an event, we we're collecting some information and they didn't want to give their name and a couple of other things. And, and I, you know, kind of probed a little bit and they're like, Oh, I don't like my name being in a database. And um, I happen to know this person is friends with my parents. And I'm like, but you have a Facebook account. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Like, too late. You're way too late. Like, you're 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 way too late. They they already have everything they want to and need to know about you. You're already being sold. The data the data on you is already being sold. My little database, which is named database, my little form to collect information so that we can, you know, provide numbers to the state is not going to get you. They don't it's care. Not gonna about be the thing, no. right? So I, I think there's there's just so much. There, there, there's a lot there. And I think like, especially for people and you and I started to kind of dive into this topic. And I think this will probably be the one that, that takes us home um, is the idea of, of when we look at not just the tech industry, but industries all over and what it looks like at the top. But I think for us, for those of us who work in tech, so um, as Anne said, she's a, she's a, Product project manager, manager product, 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 product. I know I corrected myself. Sorry. <laughs> product manager. And um, I'm an engineering manager. So I manage engineering teams. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think is very visible to us is the clear lack. So our, so one, uh, our field is heavily, 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 heavily afflicted um, by a lack of representation of black and brown people. Just It's just the entry point to us getting in there is not, um, not very easy. Um, and, and, and I mean, in today's in today's age, there's a lot more accessibility um, to getting into tech than there was even when I started. Let's see, 
prepare that date myself too much here, but about 10 years ago, um, 10, 11 years ago, and I started to get into technology and get into, get into the, the field that I'm in now, it wasn't as accessible as it is today. Um, courses were not, courses were very, way more expensive than they are now. Um, learning on your own, the community that's been built around it is not, was not as, uh, prevalent. So there's a lot of, a lot of that, that wasn't present, um, that wasn't present then, uh, but is present now. But one of the things that we were talking about prior to, um, another thing we were talking about prior to getting, we had like a whole conversation where we got off here, guys. I just want you to know that. Like we were, we were just going. It was like, it was like kind of like a sub podcast within a podcast. Pretty much. Except it, it was. wasn't recorded. So. <laughs> I like wish I would just hit the record button and just like captured that and just used it later. <laughs> but one of the things that I think you and I were digging into was, the what the top looks like what those higher levels look like and i i was just sharing um i was talking to someone because i got a little down on myself and i think it happens sometimes where i was looking at some numbers um a friend a close friend of mine is a data, data scientist and one of the projects that he's working on right now is studying um essentially studying organizations and doing uh, he's funded by a research grant um and studying organizational um makeup starting essentially at the um higher, like the senior level and then moving up through VP and then the C levels of organizations. And one of the things that his data um, found was that when we look across the tech industry, um, and I'm sure there's someone who will want to argue this and I don't really care um, because it, I don't. Um, but one of the things that he found was that, you know, when it looks for people who are black and brown in those positions um, and from a percentage standpoint, it's, it's like less than 5%. Um, mm-hmm. So when you look at all of those organizations, and I'm sure there are, you know, there are some that are going to be missed and all that accounting, blah, 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 blah. Like I said, I'm sure someone can make an argument for this. Um, But the reality of it is, is that representation for us is not, it's not, it's not prevalent. Um, And the path to getting there is, it's, it's. It's not easy. Um, yeah, you know. it's it's hard. It's, yeah. it's really hard. There's like so many layers there. And actually one thing is when you're saying even just we're talking about representation, one thing I just want to insert even um, that, that movie, that documentary, The Social Dilemma, is that there are black women who've been doing that work, talking about that very thing for like the last yeah. decade and like none of them were interviewed or included. Nope, not a that, single one. That, that show, that um, documentary. Um, but yeah, and that's that's one of the things is like it's – once you get to a certain level, it's very hard to get higher in general. But then you look at, you know, you have all sorts of people in tech who've been in the industry 10 years, 20 years, um, who are like black people who are black and brown. And, you know, you're like, wait, so like, why are so few of those people in positions of leadership within, you know, these, these tech companies? And there's some exceptions, but, you know, those, those are the exceptions. And, it's one of those things where when we talk about, you know, hey, like what's going on with your diversity, it's all about like hiring. Well, look at all these, look at all these black people. <laughs> look at all these people of color. Look at all these people who said they were LGBTQA, like who we we interviewed. And but we're like, okay, so like how long did any of those people stay at your company? And then other people who stayed, like, you know, why why are they not getting promoted at the same rate? as other employees like why why is it that those people to get to like a vp or c-suite level have to go between jobs like they can't get promoted 
within a company to actually like rise. Like we, and it's, it's really, it's really interesting because I'll say there's certain immigrant groups, I'll say certain non non black immigrant groups where within certain companies they're, they're still in I still, I would say they're still the exception, not the rule, but we've seen like prominent examples of people from certain non-black immigrant groups that are able to kind of like, you know, break through those layers and be like, oh, they started as like an engineer and then they got up to this level. And then now like they're in the C-suite and, you know, for tech companies, that's not a common thing. And especially if we're going to talk about like big tech companies or well-known tech companies, that's non-existent. And they keep talking about, we keep trying to hire people. And I'm like, but like how many of these people are you even trying to hire into senior positions? Like it's always like entry level positions. They don't have to pay, you know, a lot of money for like how many of these people even, you know, if you start out at entry level, like as a black or brown person, what is the probability you're ever going to get to be like a VP level in that, that company? And these are things that like aren't really measured. And it's something where when these people have the conversation, like it's not part of the conversation. And some of it is, I think some of them aren't aware and some of it's some, some companies just have no intention of creating those paths. They kind of just want to do the bare minimum for the metrics to say, Hey, we tried. And I think, I think that's the thing. So once you start tracking, so that's one thing that um, a very, very close friend of mine, who's a head of HR um, at a company, that's one of the things we were just talking about is the fact that she refuses to track metrics. And she said, I don't not, I don't not track metrics because I don't want to, I don't want to see the story because I don't not, I don't track metrics because I don't want that to be the, I don't want to be a number to be the goal that we get to. Um, I don't want to go, well, Hey, we hired our 50 Brown people. We're good. Done. We can move on. Right. Instead, what we're doing is um, she said, what I'd much rather do is I'd rather address what is, what has caused us to lend ourselves to that certain way of looking to that certain way of, of appearing to be and and figure out what are the problems there what are the issues in our in our hiring process what are the issues in our um, recruiting process because we've heard and I've had some very extensive conversations and just saying like a pipeline problem is not a real thing that's not a real thing people do want to work um, even even regardless of what is being communicated today, people do want to work. Pipeline is not a problem. There are uh, where you go to your pipelines are very different stories. Um, and and I think one of the things that we talk about is and, and I share I'm like, if you're recruiting, if you're trying to recruit all of the people that you're trying to fill positions from LinkedIn, that's going to be a problem. Yes, you're going to have you're going to have an issue of finding an individuals of color maybe in that space um but have you looked at other spaces such as like people of color in tech have you gone to to afro tech so these black only tech conferences or um or uh uh uh, the ship conference, which is for Hispanic folks. Like when it, if you, if you want to hire these populations, you have to target these populations because you're trying to get them into a field that traditionally has not been easy for them to get into, um, which is not only discouraging, but will lend itself to them not trying to get into that field. That's just what's naturally going to happen. Um, and, and I'm, and I believe they're seeing some benefit and in, increase in, 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 um, trying different tactics, but I think that's just something that is so often not given the level of thought that it, it really should be. Um, yeah. I, I was, I have a couple of thoughts though, is like number one in any organization, the things it's kind of like metrics are hard because like that yeah. once you, once you say this is a metric we want to meet, 
you know, people are kind of incentivized to do whatever it takes to get there, even if it means cutting corners somewhere else. However, there, if it's not measured in an organization, it all, it kind of also means it doesn't matter. Right. Like the CEO would never be like, I want us to increase revenue and then not set a specific like measure or metric for it. Right. Like everything else in the company is measured. And, and so like, there's, there's that, there's that piece. Right. Right. Um, And then there's, there's also the piece of, you know, people are like, oh, we just need to kind of go and find these places where the, you know, like we need to go to Afrotech and all this other stuff. But the thing is like, at some point you have to ask yourself, why do we keep, why do the black people and the brown people and the people with disabilities and the people who have like, you know, different experiences, like, why do they keep leaving us? Right. Like that's, yes. and you have to ask yourself, like you're having to keep rehiring because you can't retain any of that talent and you can go there. But again, like some of these conferences are known for more being like entry level talent. Like why, you know, why, like, you know, like it's, and it's more of like a, Oh, we're going to do this as a strategy. I'm like picking out, like, I think that needs to be a part of a holistic set strategy, but I, where I find is like companies have this idea of like, okay, here are the three, diversity companies we're going to recruit from and that's going to fix our problems and then they kind of pat themselves on the back and that's it and I'm like it has to be more than that like that's picking like three companies that I mean like and I know some great ones right like and just I'm going to shout out actually um, for those listening um, Diversified Tech is wonderful yes Um, you know um, oh my god why am I forgetting this I should know this just another Black. one I'll shout out real quick. Uh, People of Color in Tech is another one. Yes, Black Tech Pipeline. Because I was like, wait, I yes. want to call it like Black Tech Twitter. Paris. But like, that's not Paris. Yes. yes, like there's some great ones. Please go there. Um, you know, but the thing is like you have to do the work. And like Vinny is the one who runs um, Diversify Tech. And the thing that's really interesting that she talks about publicly on her Twitter is that she'll have companies where – multiple people have come forward to her to tell her like what a terrible experience they had at that company and how they were like harassed or bullied and the company didn't do anything and the company like underpays its employees. And then they want to go to something like diversify tech or, you know, um, the black tech pipeline or any of these other companies. And they are like, Oh, we want to recruit from you. And you know, Venny's stance is always like, I don't want to be a pipeline for people to go into jobs where they are going to be mistreated. Right. Like, and she has said no to companies where they have said very nasty things to her because she refused to. And the thing is like, they have to pay and she's like, I won't accept your money. Right. And that's the thing. I'm like this day and age, like it's like, how many people do you hear? Like, I mean, I guess it's different within like, communities of, of color where I hear that more often, but like how many other, yeah. you know, how often do you really hear people saying like, I'm not going to take your money because I don't agree with what you're doing. And that's, and that's the thing is like people want, or like, Oh, I just need to get like a couple places to recruit from, but they don't want to solve for anything else. 
Well, and I think that's the that's the root of the issue right there is 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 the is the fact that you know it's great that you want to hire people of color, but if you haven't dealt with the again, I think it kind of goes back to that root that issue that we talked about earlier, which is if you don't want to build if you don't want to deal and address with the with the systems in place that allow for these issues and problems to happen. If you don't address those, all you're going to do is just keep cycling people in and out. And, um, you know, one thing, uh, and, and I've been, I've pers- I was brought up um, just on the concept of like that, not all money is good money. So I like, it's, it's, a, and I think that's, I'll say this, I think like between you and I, I can, I can probably say this, that like, it, especially in the black community, like we're, like if something doesn't seem right, I'm just gonna leave that on the table because I I know for my sanity, for my for my sake, for my safety, it is much better for me to not take this and struggle and have to hustle and figure out how I'm gonna make this work than it would be to take this money from you. And then I now know that I contribute. Essentially, I think it almost goes back to like the idea of like. Uh, I don't even want to say selling each other out because I don't want it to sound like that, but, but to a certain extent, almost like selling each other out because as long as I make a buck, I'm uh, so heavy. Uh, oh God, what is the name of the movie? I'm going to, in my face, I can see it. Queen and Slim, Queen and Slim. I don't know if you've seen. Um, I saw it. It was a while ago. I'm really bad at remembering movie, movie details. <laughs> it's okay. But like when they get to the end of the movie and like, they trusted that guy and the guy's taken in the airport and he really had sold them out. Um, yeah like i always think about that right right whole lot to unpack there that's a whole nother conversation i I definitely feel like i've I've experienced that within workplaces right so like very traumatized so it's one of those things where like i don't know like we're i think we're sense i think we as a people are sensitive to that like we're like ooh, you know i definitely know that i've heard like ooh, child don't work there Mm -mm, don't go there like I've heard that, I'm like, no, they told me that they're really making the effort. Mm-mm, nope, don't do it. And that, and I do appreciate that about our community. Once we blacklist something, it is, it doesn't, it doesn't take much to find out that you, you don't go there. <laughs> yeah, you know, and if you do, if you do go there, knowing your reasons for going there, and knowing, you know, knowing what you are and aren't willing to put up with, and like what your goal is, is it like, I just want this on my resume for a year and then I'm out and I have an exit plan. Like, cause there are, you know, there are various reasons why people may go work for those companies, but you have to know and then get out. Right. And so that like everyone has their own reasons. So it's like, it doesn't right. make you a bad person to go work for that company. Cause we live in like a hyper capitalistic system. Like right. we were just talking about, we need money. Like, yeah, we need, we need money. So right, there are right, times right. in which people, like are like you know they they have their reasons but it's like it's good to know but like it's one of those things where it's like for everyone else where they're like i don't have any reason to go work there they're like i'm just gonna mind my business and stay away from there and i think you know i think that that's what it comes down to is like the intentionality of it like I and and you know sometimes people don't have an option. You know, I I was just having a conversation with someone from Twitter who uh, is just having a very poor work experience, and and you know a lot of people said, well then just leave, and they're like that's not that's not an option for me. Um, they shared I won't share all the details of our conversation, but just some of the things they shared. They're like it, it's it's easier for others to find a job than it is for me to find a job because of that. As much as I'd like to just leave, just leaving is not an option for me. So also understanding that sometimes people aren't. 
Well, and I, I, I would say more than sometimes people, people don't stay around to get mistreated by choice. No one's like, hmm, how can I get treated like crap today? At least yeah. I don't believe that anyone wakes up and thinks about that. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other, the other pieces, which not everyone necessarily knows about these things, but it's, it's, you know, when you're in a position where you're in a workplace that is toxic, um, or at least, you know, it might be specific to a team. I'm not saying like an entire company, I'm not trying to label anybody's company, but it's, it's one of those things where honestly, I just lost my train of thought. I'll be completely <laughs> transparent there. I'll be honest. I was like, you know, I was like, I could try to save it, but I'm like, it'll, it'll sound worse if I try to save it. And I don't know just, what I'm talking about there. Just let it go. Let just it go. Let it go. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye thought. Thank you for trying to come to the podcast. It's, it's okay. I, uh, earlier today, I was like, I was on a meeting with a bunch of, with a bunch of people from work and I'm mid thought, like mid very good thought. And I'm like, I, the train, I'm like, guys, the train just crashed. And they're like, what? I'm like, I have no idea what we were just talking oh, about. Oh, I actually do remember now. Oh, here, here it is. So a mentor once told me I was at a place where like, I absolutely hate it. I was actually being bullied by just a really terrible coworker that made my life miserable. And I kind of just wanted to leave to the first job that gave me an offer. And sometimes that's necessary, right? Your mental health should go first. But they also brought up to me, they're like, if you leave and you go to a job that is not necessarily in line with where you're trying to go to your next, next job, it could actually make it even harder to get to where you're trying to go in your career. Because you're going to now in your next job have to explain oh, well, like, this is why I went to this type of company or why I took this type of role because it's going to seem like a career transition. Whereas to you at the time, you're like, well, this is very similar. It's not a career transition. But in reality, in, like the, well, in the eyes, the perception of others, and you may have not realized that at the time you accept the new job, it is a career transition because it's like a slight, like, for example, like I'm a product manager. People sometimes send me product marketing manager roles and be like, oh, we think you're really good for this. And I'm kind of like, I didn't realize at first, like, this is considered pretty different from product management. It's not just like a slightly different thing. So if I went into product marketing management, then if I tried to come back into regular product management, people would be like, wait, why did you leave product management? I'd be like, I didn't. But the way it'd be perceived is that, and then it'd be harder for me to get my next job. And then especially if your next job also happens to be toxic, because like, let's face it as like, People of color, women, again, talking about like all the different intersectionality, like LGBTQ, disabilities, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, there is so much room for us to like have multiple jobs in a row that are toxic. So it's kind of like obviously do what's best for your mental health in that moment. Your mental health is more important than anything. But also it becomes a thing of like sometimes for certain people their best option may be to stay in place until they have a more solid plan or more solid leads or something like that because they're like, yeah, I could just jump. But like the options as of right now would put me in a place where if that place also doesn't work out, it's actually going to be even harder for me to leave that next job. Right. And it's thinking about not just the, the in the moment, but also what does this mean now? And there's so much about toxic work environments that make it actually extremely challenging to actually plan a career because you end up just bouncing out of toxic situation to toxic situation. And it's hard to be in a clear headed space where you can even think of the next, next job because all you can think about is just not being in your current work environment. 
Yeah, I've I've definitely made that mistake before where I've jumped from one toxic place to another and 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 paid for it from a mental standpoint and, and from all these other uh, all these other challenges that I have. But but I, I can definitely agree with that assessment. My, my mentor said something very similar to me. Um, I was just making sure like, hey, you're, make the jump, do what you got to do. But no, but no, what uh, I can't try to remember what he said to me word for word. It'll come to me later on, but just, you know, essentially like, Hey, just know, know that that's the right move for you. Like, I'm not saying don't do it, but just know that, know that the move that you're making is the right move for you. And it's okay. If it's not like, I know you're not going to want to hear that. I know you're not going to want to admit that um, just because of where you're at right now. And you want to get away from here, but make sure that it's the right move because what will happen otherwise is you'll end up in the, you know, a similar environment. I just had to have that conversation um, yeah, I just had to have that conversation where, where, um, making sure that that didn't happen, like making sure that that exact thing of like, Hey, I know you're frustrated. I know you're upset. If you make, like, make sure that you're making the right choice because otherwise you're going to end up in a spot that you don't want to be in. Um, that's not going to be any different than where you're at now. And especially, I think just, you know, kind of going back to a topic that we covered earlier, um, man, like when it comes to, to, so much venture capital and so much money that's flowing around, especially for startup organizations right now, like waving those big, like those nice six figures in front of your face looks really good. And then you get in and you're like, oh, this is as bad or worse than where I came from. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is having, so I also run a program called attract your dream job. It's not running like right now, now, but um, I run it several times throughout the year and you know, we talk, I mean, it's, it's really about, you know, getting companies to come to you. But one of the things that I did with the program that differentiates it from just like a standard, oh, LinkedIn resume program is that we talk about what do you need to ask companies in the interview stage? And also like, how can you thoroughly research them? Like, how do you get on your CIA level research to understand who they really are. Like people will, you know, if, when they're dating, they will like stalk someone's Instagram, look what pictures they like, do all sorts of Facebook research. I know people who will actually like run background checks on people, right? And then when we go to new companies, we just trust the people in the interview <laughs> to tell us what it's really like working <laughs> there, right? And we, and like attract your dream job because like I, I've said, like I've been in places, like I've been in situations where I've, been in multiple companies in a row that were toxic and bad for my mental health. And so I teach what, what do you need to ask? Like you can never know hundred percent what a company is going to be like, but like what, what do you need to research? What do you need to ask to look for those red flags? Because it's just, you know, as someone who's been in, again, that, that situation, I'm like, you know, do what you have to do. Um, because again, we're living like a hyper capitalistic system. Like you need money to pay bills. Like can't say that like, you know, you know, you can, it depends on what you need in that moment because there's sometimes where like not having the money will be more stressful than, you know, than like the, the mean, like, oh, I quit for my mental health. And it really is a person to person situation, to situation, um, effort, but it's something I teach and talk about because, it's something where people will talk about, oh, say this in an interview to sound really smart. And I'm like, I sound, I want to sound really smart, but most of all, I just don't want to hate my job every day. I don't want to be bullied at work. I don't want to feel like 
I'm like, oh my God, I had a job once where a client would literally shout at us and somebody from his own company actually reported him to his company's ethics hotline because they thought he was treating us so poorly. And I'm like, I want to go to companies that don't allow their clients to treat people that way, you know? And so like, I came up with that, like, you know, certain frameworks and taught other people because I'm like, I don't want anyone else to experience some of these things that I've experienced. I remember, um, so, so one thing I can, I, I like pride myself on is, is, um, my, how I treat my employees, my team, I value so much and I care about them and I care about their mental health and I care about their well being. And I remember, um, being at a uh, job and, and we're on a call with a very upset, um, very upset person. I'll, I'll just use that terminology. And, um, I hopped on the call late and I get on and, and this person was just laying into my team, just absolutely shredding them. And I, I kind of interjected. I said, Hey, I don't know who you are and I actually don't care. Um, but you will never speak to my employees like that ever again. If you, if you want to continue doing business with us, I don't care how big your contract is. I don't care how much money you spend. You'll never speak to us like that again. Um, told my team to get off, said, Hey, you guys go, I'll take care of this. Um, and it got escalated that, that situation got, and I, but I, the one thing I can say is that I was most proud of, um, while I did have some other issues at that company, the one thing I was most proud of is that my manager and all of his managers had my back. Cause that's after awesome. I got off that call, I was like, I'm going to get fired. Cause like, <laughs> that's a big contract and they're a yes. lot of money yes. and I'm going to get fired. I remember coming home and like immediately like getting my resume together and like, so I was just like, I'm going to go in tomorrow and not have a job. And, and I walked in and I usually, I usually start work very early. So like I walked in the building at like seven o'clock, no one's there. Um, the CEO comes in like maybe, cause it was a, it was a startup. He comes in like maybe I don't know, 30 minutes later and my boss comes in and then, um, and we, and by the way, we had just let someone go yesterday and my boss comes in and goes, Hey, let's go to, let's go to this person's office really quick. And I'm like, I'm about to get fired. So like I had I like I had the unemployment website pulled up on my phone. I was just yes. like, you know what? I'm just gonna apply for these benefits until I figure out something. Yeah. And I we went in the office and closed the door and like immediately I must have looked terrible because immediately the CEO looked at me and goes, You're not getting fired. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not what yeah. we're here to do. And yeah. I remember like just like, What? Are you are you sure? He was like, No. I'm here to like, I'm getting ready to call this guy and I'm going to let him know that he can never talk to my employees like that again. I just want you to be in the room in case I need to ask you something. And yeah. he got on the phone and said, to him, he goes, I will cut your contract right now. Um, so I say all that to say like, it, it really does make the difference yes. when that happens of employees, of companies backing up their employees and saying, you want to know what growth at all costs. I don't care how much money you're giving me. You're not going to treat my people like this. Um, yeah. It means, it means the absolute world. Yeah. It means, it means like a lot. And the fact that someone will back you and, you know, I've been very fortunate and my most recent manager has been like phenomenal and has always had my back. Um, but I've had, again, like a lot of workplaces. I have one manager who just straight up never wanted to be a manager. Like they asked him if he wanted to mentor some of other employees and he said, yeah, sure. And then like one, the next day we're like in a meeting and they're like, basically like an old, like one, someone who was a manager had left and was basically managing a ton of employees. And the person who was supposed to manage everybody was like, I never wanted to really manage all these people. And so they basically 
asked a bunch of people, do they want to mentor people? And then like the next day showed up and was like, oh, here's an org chart of the new managers that are under me to manage all these people. And it was like, and my new manager was like, I was asked if I wanted to mentor. I was never asked if I wanted to manage. And it wasn't that they were like a toxic manager in the way that they were trying to make my life hard, but they were a bad manager in the way that they literally had no idea how to be a manager. They never spent any time trying to be better at a manager. But as a manager, they never had my back. Anytime anyone had anything bad to say about me, they never like vetted it. They never questioned it. They just like went with it blindly and just like gave me the feedback as is, um, you know, and it was just like one of those things where it was like, if I breathed wrong and somebody said something about it, it was like, it came up in my next one-on-one and it was just kind of like, it's one thing to kind of tell me so-and-so has a problem with me. It's another thing for me to like have to contort myself because you're a bad manager and you don't know how to stand up to anyone. I, um, Oh, one last story, and then I'll, I'll we'll we'll talk we'll we'll get this closed out. I had a um, I remember I had an employee who uh, I loved this person to death. I really did. They they were just very unaware how they spoke to people, oh. um, and but it's something that we worked on. And we worked on we worked on it, and we made a lot of progress on it. And I remember I'm I'm coming out of a meeting, and I look down on my phone. I'm getting a bunch of texts from them, and I'm like. So they were like, I kind of went off on a meeting. It was 100% justified. Just want to give you a heads up. And um, before I even make it back to my desk, like I have to cross a whole floor to get back to my desk. Yep. I'm a really big floor. And like before I even got that, like six people came up to me and are like telling me, like, you know, saying all this stuff about this person. And I remember like, I don't even know what I'm defending them for. And I'm just like, well, if you want to know what, like, like I just agreed with whatever they said, this person said, and I was like, yeah, well, they're right. Why'd you let this happen? Blah, 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 blah. And I ended up getting back to their desk and they're just sitting there. And I was like, okay, so what'd you do? Like, what'd you actually do? So I yeah. know, like, yeah. like what happened? And, and you want to know the one thing I will say about this person, they were right. It's just the way they got their point across, you uh-huh. know, sometimes was like, uh, yeah. I, was, I was like, come on, you can't, can't be doing that. Yeah, yeah. But so you want to know what? This has been so much fun. We will have to yes. do this again. I, I am going to admittedly say I am hungry, and that is ninety five percent of the reason why. Because <laughs> I need to eat. That's great. I mean, I I ate earlier, so like I understand. <sighs> I'm always I'm, jealous. I'm always eating, so I fully understand. So you want to know what? I food is good, and it's food's just great. It's oh right. It is. Like, if I have the choice between eating food and, like, I don't know, spending time with people, like. Uh, what I know you have to go eat, but I have a question. What are your thoughts on barbecue? What kind of barbecue? Oh, I get, like, I, so, like, are we talking, like, like, South American barbecue or are we talking, like, American? We're like talking, US? like, we're talking about, like, baby back ribs, like, brisket, <gasps> like. So the to the, these are this is a very important question. So to close out on here's here's the thing for me. It has to be made right. It has to be made carefully. Um, like people who say like, oh, I bought a brisket to like today and I made it today. Oh no 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 no. Like no, how? No. Like if you bought a brisket today, you needed to season it for at least five days. Sorry, two. But five days before you can even tell me that you cooked it, what do you mean? Um, 
I yes. also have an issue with barbecue sauce. I just want to put that out there. Okay, so I I'm a little confused by the barbecue sauce thing, but I'm also gonna say <laughs> I'm very aligned with you on the other stuff, and I'm like I think our ne- next episode is gonna be about barbecue. I so the issue I have with barbecue sauce is I feel like a lot of people use too much to hide the fact that they don't know how to cook. Yeah, I mean that meat. is a thing. But see, so my, that's what I that's what I don't care for. I guess I should have been know. more clear. No, no, no. Okay, no, no, no. I, 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 I agree. I have see the thing is that's why we're gonna make it a separate episode because I have a lot of <laughs> thoughts on barbecue. We're gonna talk about barbecue when you're not hungry because I will literally go on for hours to talk about barbecue. I will tell you about my ribs that are like a multi-day process and we're gonna i have yes. like i have my own seasoning that i make that like my husband actually uses it on everything he puts it on his eggs he puts on a lot of other stuff but it's like i have my own seasoning, like my own rub that i use that like i make for my for my ribs and my anything else barbecue i do but um we'll, have, I, we'll talk about that next time i am ready to hear about it everyone this has been fun and this has been great i'm so glad amazing. we got together same I feel like you and I could do this all the time. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we'll make this a thing. We'll figure we'll, it out. We'll have like a like a shoot off podcast that's like just tech and barbecue, and we'll we'll like somehow tie it. We'll make it about like black and tech issues, but then we're also gonna tie it to, you know, really. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna do a podcast that talks about how black influence black people influence everything that's important in technology, and we're gonna tie it to how black people. <laughs> Like all the like all the research people like Michael Twitty and like the guy who's had yes. high on the hog, like yep. how black people also has like influenced everything in American food. And that's gonna be the sub podcast. While cooking on camera? I mean, that might be hard because I mean like a lot of this stuff is like you're not actually cooking, you know, like once you put it in the the thing, you it's like it's in there for like four hours. So right. not a lot of so but, like it's not, like it's not we're, we're not yeah. it's not this we're not talking like we're not talking like Giada de Laurentis where it's like mm. you just like put some clam sauce and white wine and other Ugh. stuff together with basil and then it's like you got 30 minutes in the saute pan and put some pasta in it. We we're talking stuff where it's like we would literally have to speed it up because it's, we're trying to like. You'd have to make it ahead of time. Like you'd have to make it, you'd be like, this is what I do to get my brisket ready. And then also let me show you how I watch my smoker like a hawk to make sure I don't burn my meat. Yeah, exactly. And so, and I don't have, I'm in a New York apartment. So I, my stuff is specific. So it's like, it wouldn't even, then I feel like the people who like have actual houses would be offended the way I do some of my (laughs) stuff. But I'm like, what do you want me to do? This They're is like, where I'm at. Use the fire escape. And I'm like, listen, guys, this is the best best I can do in an apartment without burning it down. That's the that's the new podcast. <laughs> I'm all for it. We will have to keep it going. Thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. I'm sure we, we, this could have gone on way longer. So which you're fortunate. You're fortunate. <laughs> They're gonna be well, like, make it longer. So no, some people are probably like, oh my God, shut up already. Shut up, but some people done. are gonna be like <laughs> Some people are going to be like, oh my God, we love this. Most people should be like, we love this. That's There's no reason for them not. Yes. All right. I will catch everybody on the next one. Yes.